Geico presents, uh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven and all of the burners? <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. From Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. Uh, today we have a special guest with us. Oh my god! Miss Christina. Christina, say a thing or two about yourself. <laughs> hey. You're so bashful and cute. Thanks. Um, I'm happy to be here with all of you guys. Um, I was part of everybody's program. I just recently graduated. I'm a bit of a, a little art history interloper. I like to go between periods. So I love antiquity and I love also Italian Baroque. Mm. Um, I'm especially interested in sort of representations of ancient mythology. So that's essentially what my thesis was on. Yeah. Um, and that's how I sort of got to know the lovely ladies of the art history babes. And Christina, so. Christina's my mom. When I got into the Aww. program, I didn't know what I was doing. And me she took neither. care of me. And so I call her mom when yeah. I'm feeling very affectionate. Aww. Yeah, yeah, it was actually... Hi, Mom. It was, um, it was Christina and Maisie um, who, who showed me the ropes. And it was good. It was good to have them around. <laughs> they, they know um, what they're talking about. Yeah. They're, they're legit. We were lost. And, um, you know, I just hope that we can be there for the new people. Um, I'm not sure, though, because I actually have questions for Christina when we're done recording. <laughs> and she's already graduated, and I still I have questions. But so. th- thankfully, she's still around, and we're very, very We're very happy. reliant on her. Well, the thing about, about your guys' class, too, is you guys are just a lot better... At pre- like pretending you know what's going on, right. even when you don't. Right. We're big fans. We we are not. We are so no. transparent. Yeah. We're just like I don't know what's happening. We <laughs> never pretended to know what was happening. <laughs> a, t- a typical day would be to like walk into our collective office and have the second years find you first years, right? And then freaking out and then, like <laughs> slam the door and be like, "What the hell's going on?" <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, we we were entirely transparent. So Christina's with us today. She's gonna she's gonna help us talk about architecture and power a little bit. Yeah, oh, she knows a lot. She knows <laughs> those things. Before we dive into it, I have a quick correction to make from our last episode. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's not a big deal. It's just something I noticed. We quickly in our second installment of uh, Cubism, Cube Your Enthusiasm, Part yeah. Two. <laughs> Um, we briefly talked about Pete Mondrian, and both of us referred to him as French, and Ooh, he's not French. Oh, yeah. Um, he's actually, he's Dutch. Dutch. He's Dutch, and he, after he moved to Paris, he dropped one of the A's from his name. I was gonna say, that's such a French name. Yeah, <laughs> he dropped an A from his last name. It, it, Mondrian used to have two A's, and he dropped it. So he could, like, better integrate himself into, like, the Parisian scene. Uh, well, congratulations, 
Pete? Pete? I've, I've been calling him Piet. Yeah, <laughs> and you can pronounce it that way, I'm pretty sure. Piet Mondrian. Congratulations, Mr. Mondrian, um, because it worked. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so correction there. So we're going to dive in because we have a we have a lot to say mm-hmm. about architecture and what it means for a whole lot. Yeah, it just it means a lot. For so hum- <laughs> for humans in general. What does it mean? Um so I'm going to hand it over to Natalie and she's going to get us started with the assistance of Christina. Hello everyone. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I've just been practicing my NPR voice. For everybody. Uh, like let me know how it time. goes. There's a whole new level of sensuality that's being brought to the <laughs> podcast today. Christina, thank you for being here and let's talk about architecture. Thank you for having me, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> that may have been too soft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if you get real, real close and just start to seduce the microphone, I just, think we're going to have a different kind of just podcast. Just lick it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so architecture and power. So going all the way back to antiquity, which we're talking BCE here, we're, we're going all the way back to the Egyptians, to ancient Greece and Rome, just that's a general overlay of what we're going to cover. As strange as it may be to conceive, there, were, there was a time when architecture was non-existent, and so there were nomadic tribal people who moved around a lot and didn't have a steady home. So at a certain point when people did start to stay in one location and build, even if not entirely permanent, more permanent homes. So using things like mud bricks and wood and things that are technically impermanent, but more permanent. (laughs) So you start getting this division between um, what the stable dwellers would consider as civilization and then the uncivilized or barbaric as they would consider people who are still nomadic. So this really like comes into effect with like you're dealing with the ancient Greeks and uh, give me an example Christina. Well also Gauls. Yeah Gauls. I mean it's interesting that you bring up the idea of uh, temporal versus sort of permanent materials mm-hmm. because we often look at existing architecture from the past as you know like the pyramids and the Greek temples that you're going to be talking about in a little bit as these big monuments to power but the reason we talk about them is because we still have them mm-hmm. whereas a lot of you know big important structures for other cultures that would have been really important were built out of more temporary materials sort of like wood Yep. Um, things that were not meant to be, you know, long-lasting. La- long-lasting. And so we don't talk about them. So yeah. it's interesting that we only, you know, we focus on things that have construction that has a more permanent quality it's to like it. It's like at a, at a certain point, humans started to realize that mm-hmm. permanence equated power. That if and you to could, legacy. Yeah, exactly. Legacy that that, that, that started to make sense because you realize that if something was older, it gained value just by the passage of time. So architecture definitely played into that and was powered by that. So you get the idea of civilization versus barbarism, and then that leads into parallels with the Greeks. So you start seeing um, temples, which are four Greek gods. So you see a lot of columns, and you get these long aisles that you end up walking down. Also, you have to realize Greek temples are very open. So you aren't dealing with real real walls. The walls are made up of the columns. And you have Ionic and Doric columns originally. And then later on you see Corinthian, Corinthian columns. columns. 
which we can we'll put a little nice diagram on the website essentially they just get more complicated and you also if you go to africa and you go to egypt you have the pyramids and the pyramids really are defined not defined but their importance comes from their size essentially like that's what really amazed people back in that time like the size of the pyramids was so overwhelming and if you really think about the time period and how large and how permanent they are you can understand why people still are amazed by them today like it, it's it's a it's a big deal yeah the pyramids were based on an earlier form they're called mastabas so they've had these sort of pyramid-like structures before, but they were never quite at the height that we see at the pyramids of Giza. Think like a plateau, like a pyramid, yeah. like a pyramid and a plateau meet. Sort of like a bunch of smaller squares sort of stacked upon yeah. each other. So they were much more smaller in scale, but they were still very prevalent mm -hmm. in like, the old kingdom of Egypt. But then with the great pyramids of Giza, then you get these much larger structures and you have them in a sort of a large complex as well. So that whole, the fact that they're in a larger complex denotes that this area is a place of power, a place of religious importance, a place for the pharaoh to express his power even in the afterlife. And they also, they had rock cut tombs for a period of time in Egypt, which were built into the land. So instead of building up, you would build into the ground. But those ended up being a little less successful and memorable. And mainly because we're kind of simple creatures and we like big things. Yeah. And so the actual pyramids <laughs> with their height and just their physical presence, like were much more successful than the rock cut tombs. And we have Hatshepsut. Yeah, Hatshepsut's a big name in Egyptian uh, rock cut tombs. Her mortuary temple mm -hmm. is a big one. But she was a female, she was the only female, uh, I'm not sure if she was the only one, but she was the most, she was the most well-known female pharaoh, so not yeah. to be mistaken as, as like, a queen. Yeah, there's she, no differentiation. Yeah. She presented herself as a male pharaoh. Oh yeah, didn't she wear the, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She wore, she, um, she wore the, everything that would be sort of characteristic of a male pharaoh, the, with the beard and the headdress and yeah. everything. And as it's, she started out as more feminine in appearance in sculptures and depictions of her, and then she also, she started to become more masculine over time. So you would actually, like, it seems trivial, but like, her breasts would start to become like flatter in sculpture. The other interesting thing is she was supposed to be wiped off the map in yeah. a way. We aren't supposed to know about her because her predecessor, no successor, successor, thank you, wanted to wipe her out mm -hmm. to sort his own authority. So he tried to get all of the images of her of her at her temple sort of crossed off, mm -hmm. defaced. So that she wouldn't exist anymore. But we still know about her. Fucking patriarchy, man. <laughs> God damn Anarchy. it. So if they were more successful with other female pharaohs, we will never know. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll never know. <laughs> so yeah, but okay, so that's Egypt. And you know, everyone's pretty familiar with the Egyptian pyramids, but that's... And I know that. we already have a very long list of future episodes, but we'll do one on ancient Egypt, too. Oh, oh, oh we will. Of course. <laughs> There's and so and much she to say. And she's talking about ob obelisks. Ob obelisks. 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 Yes. <laughs> I put an extra s in there. Ob 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 Ob
So, yeah, just, I mean, architecture starts becoming, a, and especially permanent architecture or what we can call quote-unquote permanent. So what you can feasibly see as lasting becomes a sign of power. And especially because these are being made by people in power. Yes. It's not so much of like using permanent materials for, you know, your, like, your because weekend getaway Because those can be house. taken down. We, yeah. We will see yeah. that too. Yeah. That can be done. But you the can fact erase that, yeah. history. But the fact that these are being made by people in very high political positions gives them a sort of a different sense of authority mm-hmm. than other, you know, maybe more permanent structures. Yeah. And also the fact that the Egyptian pharaohs were very in tune to the fact that if they wanted a pyramid or some sort of burial tomb that would be really large and extravagant, they had to build it in their lifetime because if they died before it was finished, it probably wouldn't get finished yeah. because no one cared to. They keep were starting going. their own, their yeah. own monuments. So. As soon as you came into power, you got to start planning your own yeah. burial tomb. They Plan knew. It before. They knew Plan how to last. Before. So, <laughs> so yeah, that we already kind of talked about the Greeks, but really between in the archaic period is when you start seeing these temples built. So. Between 600 and 480 BCE, just side note, this is purely to do with like Greco-Roman origins, Western art. There are things going on in other parts of the Mm -hmm. world. So just to be specific that this isn't like the origins of architecture in all. This is just a specific location. But they're building temples. We see a lot of columns again. And yeah, stone temples before there were wood and mud brick. Those are not lasting, so they realized they needed some more permanent options. Um, You see this again and again, these kind of, like, tropes, because it's the birth of democracy, so people really equate back to that all the time. Yeah, and and that's why we still see these same kind of architectural features. Yeah, and when the Romans got into power, they looked to the Greeks as sort of an artistic model and their own sort of native Italic traditions, but they really liked the Greek way of building and the Greek aesthetic and they sort of adopted that into the Roman aesthetic Mm -hmm. and then with the expansion of the Roman Empire these Greek ideals sort of get carried across all of the Roman Empire which is essentially most of Europe and a lot of North Africa and even into sort of the Middle East and that's why you see sort of the prevalence of these forms and you see them today you know you look at the state capital you still see you know the columns the pediments yeah, so the, the re- there's a reason that the White House looks very obviously mm, Greek, Greek slash Roman. Mm-hmm. It's carrying these ideals. Neoclassicism. Yeah. This neoclassicism ideas that were instilled by Greek and Roman architecture that was carried throughout the empire and then later sort of revived mm-hmm. because they were associated with such a strong political power exactly. and such strong political ideals. So... so We believe in democracy, so you will see (laughs) these democratic buildings because democracy. (laughs) Because Because democracy. democracy. (laughs) And that's all she wrote. (laughs) (laughs) So the White House, it's it's big and white and kind of ancient ancient looking. People live there. People live there. Uh important people. Um and yeah, and and as as I said, it, it looks like it does for a reason, because those are, over time, are um, characteristics that have come to represent power in, in various buildings. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, 
Um, we're gonna. This episode kind of jumps around in time. We yes. we we skip all over the place. We're a little being bit. time travelers. Today. Yeah, <laughs> time... Doctor Who fans out there. Oh, oh God. Get out of here. Oh God. <laughs> um. So yeah, we're taking you on a time traveling expedition. Um. I'm going to be talking mostly about a a modern architect, Le Corbusier. Oh. oh. <laughs> you're gonna hear. You're gonna hear some interesting information, but you're gonna hear a lot of disdain too. Um. But um, before I really get into him and his story, I want to kind of touch a little bit more on what Natalie and Christina were just saying with this this notion of of antiquity representing power and setting up this idea of what is powerful and what is good and and what should be uh, emulated. And um, as I kind of mentioned before, like, Going back to the White House example, like the White House is white because a lot of these um, these ancient remains that we have from like ancient Greece and ancient Rome are are white. We discovered them and they were white, and we we decided as human beings that 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 <laughs> meant something. Um, and the the, the uh, <laughs> this is where it all began. This is where it all began. <laughs> And the color white connects to Le Corbusier in a very real way. But the the important thing to note here is this idea that um, the great buildings and sculptures of ancient Greece and ancient Rome were white is entirely misguided. Mm -hmm. um, because if you didn't if you didn't know this already, research has shown us that these buildings and sculptures were actually painted. They were very colorful. They were very <laughs> colorful. Quite. Quite cheery, actually. Um, we'll we'll put a we'll put Aww. in. There's some there's some recreations of what these famous sculptures or buildings most likely looked like with like the pigments and the the different colors they they had at the time. So we'll we'll put an image of that on the website for you to look at. As we watch the suburban garden gnome carefully, carefully without disturbing it, we notice that it moves like not at all. It's inanimate and utterly without brain function. But. Despite that, when a garden gnome hears about how Geico not only saves people money, but also gives them access to licensed agents 24-7 online and over the phone, it's clear to them you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. But on second thoughts, maybe don't watch garden gnomes too carefully. People might talk. So, um, really, this whole history of, of white representing what it does, it's misguided. And there's a particular dude we have to thank for that. Oh, yes. Good okay. old, good old. <laughs> good old, good old. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not his name. Um, <laughs> Johann Joachim Winkelmann. So, Winkelmann is, you know, if you take art history, he'll probably come up. He is an 18th century German archaeologist and art historian. And really, like, the discipline of art history got its foothold during the 18th century in Germany. So a lot of the way that things are taught and thought about with art history and architectural history are really based in a lot of these 18th century um, German art historians. And so Winkelmann loved antiquity. He thought it was great. He loved the sculpture. He loved the architecture. And he was really struck by these this white marble that he saw in sculptures that he saw in architecture and he eventually went to Rome and was just really in awe of all of this marble that he saw. Italy has one of like the 
biggest marble quarries in the world and it's Carrara marble and it's very very white it'll have some veins that are kind of bluish grayish but for the most part it is very very white and Winkelmann was just like wow this is beautiful everyone needs to know everyone needs to see like this beautiful white pure marble and that he he would write about it and he really got it out there and people started catching on and then you start seeing like these white classical buildings popping up everywhere from the 8th, 18th century onward and that this you know as Natalie and Christina were talking about like with classical architecture there's a perceived timelessness and kind of endurance of passage of time and that it, that in and of itself represents something that is both beautiful and powerful and so Winkelmann can really be credited with kind of getting this out into the world from the 18th century onward of what is perceived as like beautiful and powerful in this white marble architecture so uh Winkelmann wow. fun fact too he um, loved tight leather trousers. <laughs> Jeannie, can I just say that when you start going on about something and you're like really in the zone, it's like my favorite thing. I just needed to say that. It's, I hope that our listeners enjoy it as much as I do. Thank you. You make me blush. Aww. She is. She's blushing. She right is. Oh. It's also really hot. <laughs> um, okay, so that's kind of peek into where this these ideas about the color white came from, especially in terms of architecture. Yeah, as I said, another person that the color white was very important to was Le Corbusier. And um, What's Le... his actual name? Do we know? Yes, yeah. we do know. <laughs> um, Le Corbusier was born Charles-Edouard Ginaret. Ooh! Oh, beautiful! <laughs> Great pronunciation. Oh, thanks. Oh, oh that French t- kicked in handy. Yeah. That's not a phrase, kicked in handy. <laughs> Came in handy. It, so. it, it kicked, kicked in. in. Kicked in. Kicked in handy. That's Sorry, word. I just combined two phrases. No, it's so. perfect. Kicked in handy. <laughs> Let's start a movement. Hashtag <laughs> kicked in handy. Yeah. <laughs> She's catching on so fast. Yep. Hashtag that shit. Um, okay. <laughs> So he was born in rural Switzerland. 1917 was when he adopted the name Le Corbusier, which was actually a variation on his grandfather's name. Mm. Took his grandfather's name and kind of like changed it a little bit and he became Le Corbusier. It doesn't really mean anything besides that. Um, Yeah, you know, it it reminds me, um, have you guys ever met like a person who makes up their own nickname and insists that you call them that? Yes. But literally nobody wants to call them that. They're like, fine, we'll call you Le Corbusier. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that, I think that's pretty valid in this in this instance um yeah he just decided that that was his name um okay and he's very well known as an architect in addition to architecture he was also a painter his paintings emphasized clear forms and structures and these same characteristics were were very obvious in his architecture so the main characteristics of the things he built was all about steel Mm. All about all about reinforced concrete. Totally about that reinforced concrete. Um, all about <laughs> geometric forms. So very modern. Like he is yeah. he is the forefront of modern e- architecture. Like no doubt about it. Um, 
Sorry, that's the Natalie's high-tech wine yeah, opener. They've heard it before, right? I yeah, like yeah they've heard it before. It's, it's quite the contraption. <laughs> 20 bucks at Brookstone. <laughs> what, what is it? Bridgestone? Brookstone. 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 We are, are in the, the age of chocolate-covered pomegranates. Yes. Oh, Ooh. yeah. The chocolate-covered yeah, acai. You can get those acai. at bulk in Costco. Acai? Acai? Yeah. Or acai? It's acai. Ah. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, you have the insiders. This is a I do. This is I a do. teaching <laughs> moment. I got that Brazilian connection. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh child. <laughs> um. Anyways. <laughs> um. Okay. So, is architecture steel reinforced concrete geometric forms? Um. A term that he would later coin as purism. Purity was very important to him, which you can can imagine as his family were Calvinists. Yeah. So you have this kind of religious... The word purity makes me nervous. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird... Rightfully so. Yeah, it comes from... It, in this case, anyways, it comes from this like religious ideal of certain things being pure. And then also, he was big on the use of the color white in his architecture. And he used a very specific white. Um, the brand was Ripplin, mm. and it was a, oh, apparently the smoothest and and mm. cleanest of the whites. Purest, white. yeah, the, the <laughs> purest white. Do we oh, know yeah. if this white is still available? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Ripplin white, and he referred to it as moral white. Oh, 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 oh of course no. he did. Oh no, of course he did. Triggered. <laughs> So, so obviously your um your 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 surroundings, your choice of color in your living space reflects your morality. According, and it's white. Yeah, exactly, and it's white. <laughs> according to Lake Corbusier. So he also he developed like he developed these five points of architecture, which are pretty important. Maybe not important, but very influential. They they did yeah. a lot for architecture, and, yeah. and some of them are very interesting. Like the my favorite one, I think, and we'll we'll list these like on the website, or we'll list a source with these on the website. But my favorite one is he incorporated roof gardens on flat roofs for both domestic purposes, so you could like go hang out on your roof and like be in the garden. Okay, and also to. <laughs> It's like the like the precursor to all like those like New York rooftops. Yeah, so, like, oh. let's go hang out who, on the roof. Who doesn't love a good rooftop? Yeah, bar. yeah, a uh, rooftop party. Okay. All about it. Shout um, out to Monarch in New York City rooftop bar. Really fun. Yeah, everybody loves a good roof rooftop party. Who doesn't um, like a good roof? Yeah. <laughs> Like, let's be real. Um, so, yeah, he kind of started this whole roof gardens on a flat roof. And it was for, it had these domestic purposes, but it also provided protection to his concrete roofs. Like, so it had a... So that's kind of a cool thing he did. Um, he also started the whole horizontal windows, like big horizontal windows. That, hey, that's that's cool. That's yeah. a nice thing. A big, a big horizontal window providing even lighting that's for a room. Cute. Real Realtors are thinking him right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> big as, money. As you can probably already hear, like, the disdain in our voice for this <laughs> man, we're like, oh, surprise, he did something actually that's nice. Yeah, he did some cool yeah. creative things. Like, you, you can't 100% discredit him. Oh, um, but we're going to get a little bit more into some of the shitty stuff he did. Um, but, anyway, so the things he did 
um, are the things he created in, in his architecture very much influenced the rise of brutalist architecture, which we've mentioned multiple times. We're not going to get into it too much on this episode because it doesn't quite fit, but some cool brutalist buildings out there, and, and those are very much characterized by that reinforced concrete look. So that was that was pioneered by Le Corbusier, also known, known as Corbu. We'll refer to him as Corbu from here on out. Can I ask a question? Yes, of course. I would like to know, <laughs> do we call it brutalism because it's... Um, made of these industrial materials and it does no there's no effort to hide the use of like reinforced concrete i've always wondered that yeah i think that has something to do with it i haven't looked enough into right. the origins of the term but i that's that's what sticks out to me it's probably just it, super brutal it is actually super brutal you should I'm look sure it up we'll do an episode on it at yeah. some point it's, it's not only like they're just really cool buildings yeah um so, Corbu Back to Corbu. So, Corbu's ideas really influenced that whole movement. So, okay, so let's let's get into some of his really just like shitty, uh, horrible quotes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Way more. Okay, so I guess I'm. Well, this one's not terrible, but he he <laughs> has this collection of essays published in 1923 called "Toward an Architecture," in which he this is kind of just the basics of his I- ideas. Um, he was very into like modernism. The modern age is all about like machines in a lot of ways, and he was he was all about technology and machines. So in Toward an Architecture, he argues that modern machines could create highly precise objects very much like the ideal forms of ancient Greeks. So ah. we have this idea of connecting back to the ancients, right? Interesting. Right? Bring it all back. Yeah. Chin-stroking interesting. Yes. So in his in his work, in his architecture, he is, quote, searching for modern perfection through universal forms. Ah, so, columns. Yes, columns, man. <laughs> so he's looking, this purity, this perfection, this cleanliness. He's trying to create perfect architecture. Right. Perfect living spaces, right? Right. And yeah, this connects back to his obsession with purity and whiteness and rippling and, and these kind of ideas. Okay, so he had this preoccupation with, with cleanliness. He was also really into his physical health. He exercised every morning, like, obsessively. He, he, he believed 100% that there was an ideal way to live. This, this was his personal philosophy. There was an ideal way to live, and he, he wanted to create spaces where one could live this ideal life. Mm-hmm. So that was his entire motivation. What a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just saying that because I'm like the laziest person that I know. So. No, you are not. You are not. I, you're, I you're very motivated. And... No, 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 no. It's okay. This isn't a, a seeking attention, <laughs> seeking compliments sort of comment. You know, I feel like I just want to say that the the ideas um, that Corbu was extolling via his architecture and his writings and things really do encompass modernist oh definitely thoughts. Like, oh 100 really um yeah no that's actually a very important thing to bring up because modernist thought as much as i really enjoy diving into it is pretentious as 
book. Yeah. It's so like I don't think I've ever rolled my eyes harder. I know, and it's like <laughs> I shut up. Yeah, like part of me loves it because I'm like, this is smart and interesting. But the intentions, at least at the time, was very much to be like, I'm smarter than you. Yeah. Um, and to separate the classes, to separate, like, who understood and who didn't. Oh, and surprise, surprise, most of the modernists were white European men. Oh! Oh! Shocker! Shut, shut up! up. <laughs> shut up! Uh, what? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Corbu is definitely... Definitely in that group of people. Patriarchy. <laughs> so, okay, so his most well-known building easily is the Villa Savoie. Savoie? Savoie? Savoie. It's Savoie. I don't You're speak a, French. You're a resident <laughs> French teacher. The Villa Savoie. And it's it's a UNESCO heritage site. So it's it's kind of this important building. It's pretty cool. There's And we'll post a link to this. There's actually um, on YouTube a little virtual tour you can take of it. Dope. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun little thing. It takes five minutes. Um, It's a, it's a cool building. Like, yeah. as someone who appreciates modernist aesthetics, it's a cool building um it's in um Poissy France outside of Paris and it was designed in 1929 for a very wealthy family the entire idea behind this building is he wanted to create this image of like a floating box and Ah. yeah oh like the white cube kinda yeah oh man no he's very much in the realm of the white cube if you guys remember our last episode I was really into that. And another shout out to Inside the White Cube by Brian O'Doherty. Read it. Oh, Doherty. Um, so anyways, so he's trying to create this floating box aesthetic. So to, to make this floating box, the ground floor walls are recessed and then painted green to kind of further this illusion of like, so the green walls are supposed to help it blend into its surroundings and further create this idea of this like large floating box and the interior has this really like dynamic energy there's like this crazy ramp and there's all these spirals um and it very much resembles the inner workings of a machine which goes back to what we we're talking about his concerns with the machine aid and and what the machine could do for for humans and and for their their quality of life. In fact, there's a quote by him that kind of exemplifies this. It's it's actually one of his most famous quotes. A house is a machine for living. Mm. <laughs> he would. Yeah. So this this house definitely exemplifies that. It's I mean it's beautiful, but it you can almost see the components, like the inner components of a machine when you're like walking through it. So like we said, this house is designed for a very, very specific kind of living that he felt was the perfect way to live. So he felt very strongly about these things. Um, <laughs> which brings me to, I think, the most important aspect of Corbu's work in terms of this topic of architecture and power is uh, he got really, about 1930, he gets really into theories of urbanism and city planning. <sighs> <laughs> And he has a few different plans for a few different cities. And, oh, man. Okay. If you wanna, oh, man. If you get ready to sigh at some of these quotes. Okay. So I have, I have a few quotes by him. Just his thoughts on some different cities. So this is him describing 
Stockholm. His oh, feelings goodness. on Stockholm. Oh goodness. <laughs> are, are we ready? I'm ready. Okay. No. Hold on to your. <laughs> Here we go. Frightening chaos. Oh no. And <laughs> saddening monotony. And Not he good. wanted to, and I quote, clean and purge the city Ooh. with a calm and powerful architecture. Sorry, Stockholm. Yeah. <laughs> so just, I mean, just clean the... Clean and purge. Yeah, the word purge. Yeah. It reminds me of that movie that the, I haven't seen. The purge. But the purge. Oh, there's like several of them. Yeah, now. I haven't seen any of them, but this idea of purging an yeah, entire city. That there's something wrong, yeah. intrinsically wrong about this something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, this is wrong and needs to be purged. It's gross. Um, But, okay, but this, <laughs> one, this one's even worse. Are you guys ready for this? I can't oh. wait. The design of cities is too important to be left to the citizens. Oh, oh. fuck you, dude. So Corbu should probably that's design so the city. Cordouche. That's, that's Cordouche. Cordouche. Oh, maybe. Cordouche. Hashtag Cordouche. Hashtag Cordouche. <laughs> 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 okay, so. City planning. So the example we're going to go with, because I think it's probably the most important, is he, in 1931, Corbu begins plans for the city of, for the, the French Algiers. Yeah, uh, the, the French colony of Algiers. Already Just, um, already on a bad list. Yeah. Problematic. <laughs> Problematic. To be <laughs> very specific, that means France came into Algeria Took and over, decided over. it was theirs. Yeah. French said, you're... You're mine now, Algiers. And then Corbu said, I will make it better. <laughs> and I'll make it more racist. <laughs> <laughs> make Algiers great again. <laughs> oh my god, yes! That is so on point! Wow! <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah, that's essentially what Corbu's trying to do. Make Algiers great again. Okay, so in 1931, he begins these plans completely unsolicited. <laughs> nobody asked him to do this. It's so sad. In <laughs> nobody, nobody asked him to do this. But he he started these plans and uh, would continue to work on them for the next ten years of his life. Um, an entire decade he spent on his plans for Algiers and his intentions. What he felt he needed to do was he wanted to raise Algiers to the level of an international city. Kind of a a world capital of Africa, if you will. He had this fantasy of a a essentially a diamond of powerful Mediterranean cities. So Barcelona, Marseille, Rome, and Algiers. And he a felt diamond. a diamond, a nice little <laughs> he diamond. Was like, diamonds are forever. <laughs> diamonds are a company. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I was going to say he and Kanye were on the same wave. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Diamonds uh, are Maybe Kanye is Diamonds No, I was going to say, maybe Kanye Kanye's the reincarnation of Corbu. That's terrible. <laughs> He's been much more successful. Ginny's face is perfect right now. Holy shit. Um, okay. She's like, no. So he, he, he draws up these plans. He works on it for forever. The three main elements he wants to create in Algiers a new business district on the Cape of Algiers obviously business because business is power a residential area in the heights accessible by a bridge spanning over the Kasba which is the fortified city center of Algiers and then a quote road town which this is the most interesting to me an elevated highway 
arcing between suburbs that contains 14 levels of residence beneath. Oh, I know. What a weird thing. Um, so so he, he envisioned this modernist megastructure laid over the Kasba, which basically shows... And, and there's actually a, a nice little sketch of what he had in mind yeah. that we'll post, um, which shows a total disregard for the local culture. Mm. Um, and mm. not only that, but it would have created hardcore segregation between workers yeah. and the rest of the European communities. And it was already there. He was just going to, like, amplify Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. And, oh, another, another roll your eyes quote. Here we go. Here is the new Algiers. Instead of the leprous sores, which had sullied the gulf and the slopes of the Sahel, here stands architecture. Architecture. Architecture is the masterly, correct, and magnificent play of shapes and light. Architecture. I hate him. (laughs) Architecture. He's just so much better than everyone. He sounds like one of those, like art history professors that you know that you hate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like those stereotypical, is, yeah. stereotypical kind like, of guys, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's the seminar that you just dread. You dread going to week. <laughs> yeah. And it's on a Thursday from 3, three to, to 6, 6 p.m. <laughs> and and you yeah, just don't want to go. You just don't want to go. And then you're in there and you're just like, God, I <laughs> you hate you the whole time. Yeah, that's, that's what he sounds that's like. That is. One last point. Um, on Corbu, because we haven't, like, ragged on him enough. Let's <laughs> see, also, on top of all this, on top of all this, like, bullshit about, like, this is the ideal way to live, and essentially, like, I mean, it's it's in a more vague way, but, like, white supremacy, basically, like, Western, yeah. Western supremacy, at least. He also, on top of that, somehow managed to also romanticize and exoticize the other, in Algiers. Yes. Oh, like so, a good little Orientalist oh, that he was. Exactly. So, yeah. So, in addition to being like, this is the right way to frame uh, your city, and you need to make your city like this, he also, at the same time, was able to, like, romanticize the, like, Algerian way of life, like, just enough to, like, still fit his, like, colonial goals. I saved these from our reading on Corbu. Oh, are these his, his, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So, they're actually beautiful. They oh, really yeah. are. No, but. Well, aesthetically, you can't say he's not a talented person. But it also reminds me of colonialism. Yeah, because this is what happened. So, he's in Algiers working on these grand plans that no one asked him Gross. to make. Um, and he starts spending time with women in Algiers. And all of a sudden, Corbu starts painting these super, like, mythic nudes with these, like, elegant curves. And, like, just Orientalism is all it really is, is yeah. mystifying of of the women of, of Algiers. And, like, he's still able to serve his, like, colonial modernist viewpoint and yeah. exoticize the other. It's, like, amazing, truly. Hey. Contour from Cox has all your favorites, all in one place. And with the Contour remote, you can use your voice to find them on live TV, on demand, and streaming apps like Netflix, Prime Video, and more. See cox.com for details. Um, But yeah, so I don't even know if I mentioned this. His 
His plans for Algiers were titled um, Plan Obus is the name for it. So we'll have we'll have an image of Plan Obus um, for you. Such disdain, um, Corey. I know. <laughs> but ultimately, Plan Obus was unanimously rejected in 1942. Let's all clap. Yeah, let's. Well done. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Um, so. I think we're probably, this is once again going to be a two-parter because we have a lot to say. We can't help it. Um, so be, but before, before we jump into listener mail, I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a cliffhanger. So Corbu, in 1934, meets up with our favorite fascist, Benito Mussolini. <gasps> oh, shit. And Jenny has plenty to say about Mussolini. So stay tuned for... Number two on architecture and power, but let's pull up our listener mail. Yes. So we have some listener mail. Um, this is on our Facebook from Curtis. Curtis Hello. writes, hi, ladies. I love listening to your podcasts. You ladies make art history down to earth and fun. I really enjoyed the episode on color theory. I'd love to hear more on that topic and topics similar to it. I especially love the bit about Michelangelo leaving out the Virgin Mary because he didn't have the ultramarine blue, giving his patrons the artistic middle finger. Anyway, love your show. Wish they were more frequent. Your fan from Canada. Oh, Curtis from Canada. I love Canada. I've really never do. been to Canada. I've never been to Canada, but I want to go. Curtis, you should. I uh, might move to Canada. <gasps> you know what? Toronto no. Airport has a lovely Richard Sarah in their international. I want to go. Right, wait. Oh, dope! No, I love no, Sarah. I want to go to Quebec and practice Quebec. practice Poutine. my French. Hey, Curtis. Um, thanks for the mail, and um, we really appreciate you tuning in. And it is so exciting that you are so interested in our color theory episode because we were just thinking about yes. doing some more stuff on color. But also, I think that maybe, you know, as the year goes on, I think we can maybe delve a little bit deeper into some theory in general as far as art goes and art history. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe because it's hard and, and we can't we can't be serious for like five minutes. So. <laughs> Um, well, I think we do a good job theoretically. I mean, um, yeah, I the guess. theory the theory kind of flows out when you you have a few drinks in you. But um, I'm, I'm projecting. But, col- <laughs> but, but color we got on lock. Yeah, I think what we're gonna do we'll probably do it sporadically. But a lot of people seem to enjoy the color theory, and, and we got a lot of comments about how much they learned about blue. So what we just blue. Yeah, so what we so much blue. The boy blue. The boy blue. Anyways, so what we've just <laughs> what we've decided to do is we're gonna do sporadically we're gonna do a series on different colors, yes. individual colors for each episode. And our next episode, as we said, architecture and power is gonna be a two parter. But our next episode after that, we're gonna do on the color purple, purple, purple rain, purple, purple rain. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. It really was. Oh, uh, we have a good harmony. I yeah. think we do. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really proud of um, us. So, so that, I think, is going to be something we're going to pepper in throughout the year, is every once in a while we'll do just an episode on, like, a color. We'll just pepper it. We'll pepper it in there. <laughs> just, just, just pepper it real quick. Um, 
so yeah, so we're gonna do purple and I, and yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your listener mail. Thanks, Curtis. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you. Send for your... us more mail. <laughs> Come on. I we get we get some really nice mail. We do. I, yeah, but I want more. Keep, um, keep sending. <laughs> Jin's Jin's getting greedy. I am. Mail. No, yeah. it's true. I'm very demanding. She's, she wants mail, so send it to her. Um, now. Also, in addition to sending us mail, which we love and we totally get excited on, um, you can do us a solid and you can go on to our iTunes and you can leave us a review. Oh, yes. Please do that. Yeah. Because you know what? We need more of that. Comment on the SoundCloud. Comment on anything. Comment really. on anything. But like the iTunes reviews are pretty key. That's how we, we get a lot of exposure. Um, is if we have a lot of traffic in our iTunes reviews. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. do us a solid. Go in, write a review, you know, what you like about us, whatever. Yeah, write um, anything. Yeah, yeah. For real, though. Just write anything. a bunch of emojis. <laughs> like, please do. I love <laughs> deciphering emoji <laughs> messages. Yes, That's like my wet favorite. Steven. Wet Steven? Shout, shout, shout out, out to Wet, wet Steven. Steven. What is that? <laughs> what is that? Wet, wet Steven is our... We know. We know. I don't want to... <laughs> play favorites but are one of our favorite reviewers yeah oh, he's a great reviewer right. and he used an emoji he's a little cool face emoji oh a little cool guy um sunglasses <laughs> emoji i love him um but yeah so write us a review on itunes if you have a second we so appreciate it you can send us any questions at arthistorybabes at gmail.com we're on twitter at arthistorybabes we are on instagram arthistorybabes podcast we're on tumblr as arthistorybabes we're on pretty much everything so oh Facebook like us those are important too so thank you so much for all your support you're wonderful and stay tuned for architecture and power part two yes Woo! we love you from Geico presents, oh, uh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven? And all of the burners. <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> the Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.